four seconds remaining. Browns looking to hold on, 39 to 37. They say it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And somehow in the first game of the 2002 season, the Browns managed to screw up both. They led the Chiefs by two with just four seconds left. Green steps up under some heat. He got rid of it. John Tate is running with the football. Flags come down. Chiefs offensive lineman John Tate technically had a 24-yard run, but the clock had run out and the game was over. Or was it? Let me tell you, Dwayne Rudd threw his helmet while the play was going on. That's a defensive penalty. The game can't end on a defensive penalty. Rudd thought he sacked Green and that the game was over, but it wasn't. With the 15-yard penalty for the helmet toss and no time left on the clock, suddenly the Chiefs had a free play to attempt the 30-yard field goal. The Red Helmet Toss embodies so much pain in one single moment. First Bottlegate. Now this? It's like the Browns were continually inventing unbelievable and impossible ways to lose games. It's these moments that were the beginning of a disturbing trend that has haunted the team since their return. You get good people that are brought into Cleveland, skilled people like Rudd, and then they're all turned bad, usually due to horrendous, unbelievable luck. Mike Polk saw it this way, too. Here's this guy. All he did was play football his whole youth. All he ever wanted to do. Played football. I don't know where he went to college. Then he comes and plays NFL. Probably had good seasons before that. Probably had good seasons after that. But all we will ever know him for is for finding a remarkable way to lose a Browns game by taking his helmet off and getting a last-second penalty. Tim Couch is no different. A good player who wasn't given anything close to a fair shot. Crushed by the city's expectation and dysfunction of the organization. Finally, I get the team to the point where we're making it, we're in the playoffs. You know, we're, we're a good young football team. We're coming along and then had a concussion and the fans cheered. Compared to the first three seasons, 2002 through 04 would somehow be more successful and twice as painful. An untimely death, a quarterback physically and emotionally broken, and a coach that was given too much power. You name it. Put on your lucky game day gear and wait for the worst thing possible to happen. We're headed to Brownstown. Another guy who went through this good before, bad now Cleveland car wash was head coach Butch Davis. Things actually started off well for him. In 01, Butch went 7-9, just missing the playoffs. Butch brought energy. He brought positivity. And the team quickly responded. That's former kicker Phil Dawson. We won seven games that first year. And then we started having fun. And that's, that was the first time in my career that playing in the league started to become enjoyable, started to make friends with other teammates, started to feel the unity, started to see the city come alive for the first time. Those were some really, really good times. In 02, however, the Browns started off a tad shaky. First with the Rudd helmet toss, then two wins, followed up with a close overtime loss to the Steelers all to sit at two and two. So in week five, the Ravens come along. The fans had already been through an emotionally draining month. And when Tim Couch got sacked in the end zone by what seemed like the entire Ravens defense, the Browns fans did him dirty. Seeing Couch lying on the field with the concussion, they cheered. That moment, I just kind of blew up because I had been with the team literally from day one. And I had been getting the hell beat out of me and 
finally I get the team to a point where we're making it, we're in the playoffs. You know, we're, we're a good young football team. And then I, I got, had a concussion and the fans cheered that I was, I was laying on my home field and the fans are cheering that I've got a concussion. For those that are from the outside, you got to understand the Ravens are the Browns and they had just won a Super Bowl. So Boo and Tim Couch was wrong, but really fans' emotions were torn in 15 different places. And then they put microphones in my face after the game, you know, which the, they should have never let me speak. You know, and I'm a young kid, man, and I'm emotional about a team that I've given literally my body for. You know, I've been through surgeries and concussions and I'm beat to death and, you know, and I'm laying on the field and they're cheering. It just it just kind of just that was it just kind of boiled over and I just exploded and and said a lot of things that, that I shouldn't have said. That was probably the moment where it all kind of started going sideways for me. After Couch's concussion, Kelly Holcomb was sent in. He backed up Peyton Manning and Indy in the late 90s. And he came out slinging it. Holcomb to Dennis Nordcutt again. <laughs> Holcomb would finish the game throwing for 180 yards, two picks, and two touchdowns. We'd lose the game 26-21. But the seed of Kelly Holcomb had been planted in both the mind of the city and Butch Davis. Halfway through the season, the Browns would face more bad luck, this time off the field. Al Lerner, the guy who first helped the team move and then brought the team back, died at 69 from brain cancer. His team's on-field product hadn't been that good, but Lerner was a good man and a good owner, according to everyone we talked to, like Phil Dawson. We were pregnant with our first child and my wife had a few complications. And I called the trainers, we're having some issues. They said, go to the hospital. And by the time we got to the hospital, <laughs> Mr. Lerner had called and had everything taken care of so that we literally walked in, bypassed all the red tape, and my wife was being examined by the head OBGYN of the Cleveland Clinic. And here I am, just a first-year no-name kicker, probably the bottom guy on the roster, and he's doing that for me. And that always impressed me with the character of man he was. Al Lerner had brought vision and stability to a team that desperately needed them. And Jim Donovan thought he was getting close to truly bringing the Browns back. Then, just gone. I really believe that the Browns would have achieved success at a much earlier stage if Al Lerner had not come down with a brain tumor and then passed away. I really do, because he was such a smart business guy and you couldn't fool him. He just had a great sense about things. I really believe he would have straightened things out. Gone was the kind, smart and steady hand at the top of the organization. And now we had Randy, Randy Lerner, Al Lerner's son. And he wasn't like his father, let me say that. Randy was like most kids who grew up with a silver spoon in their mouths. He was different. Suddenly, he owns this team that he probably never expected to own. I go back to his tenure, and I think sometimes he made moves that made sense at the time, ahead of time, that just backfired on him. And then the problem was they never had the wherewithal to fight through the, the, the losing seasons. Randy was in over his head. He looked to the staff his father had left him to help run the team. That sounds good on paper, but it's not. NFL front offices are constant power struggles. There's the coach, GM, president, and vice presidents. And trust me, the Browns always have a lot of vice presidents. Each of them want to do their own thing their own way. The owner's job is to determine what each of these people do best and tell the other ones to stay in their own damn lane. Balance. And Randy either didn't want to or couldn't control the clashing personalities in the Browns front office. 
I mean, former Browns defensive lineman Sean Smith says he couldn't even control his own damn kid. You want to know about Randy or his son, the little son that used to come in the locker room and tell everybody, oh, he's going to get cut. He's not going to be here. He's going to be here. He's not going to be here. That's what his son used to come in the locker room and say. It was funny. Uh, Mr. Lerner was a cool dude, though, but I didn't see him much. You may see Mr. Lerner mm, on game day, maybe, and did training camp. And when you're the owner, you could do that. His lack of leadership would lead to plenty more problems down the road. But what it meant in 02 was that Randy Lerner promoted Butch Davis from head coach to lord of all Cleveland football. The team went 4-3 and three over the next seven games and were 8-7, and seven, headed into the last game of the regular season against the Falcons. And by now... You know what happens next. Shit takes a turn. Tim Couch looks like he got hurt on this one. So Kelly Holcomb has come in to replace Tim Couch. This time, ironically, Couch was barely touched, and he still broke his leg. Enter Kelly Holcomb. He threw for 86 yards, a touchdown, and two picks, and got the win. But more importantly, he was now the starting quarterback for the next game, a playoff game in Pittsburgh. Wild card weekend continues here on CBS. One of these teams will be eliminated from the postseason picture today from Heinz Field, the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers. In a battle of backups, Kelly Holcomb versus XFL legend Tommy Maddox. Holcomb threw for 400 yards and had the Browns up 24 to seven deep into the third quarter. Even after they blew the lead, they were still a Dennis Northcutt wide open drop away from mounting their own comeback. But alas, bad luck and heartbreak would prevail. The official was waving his arms, but the clock had expired. The Steelers have won and they'll advance. It was an excruciating loss, but NFL Network's Andrew Siciliano drank the Kool-Aid. The Browns were still on the right track. That was a damn good team. And they could have, should have, would have beaten the Steelers, obviously. And I mean, there are a million could have, would have, should have from that game. But, you know, that that was a decent team. It actually did go in the right direction after the initial misstep. But Butch managed to turn this good thing, a playoff appearance, into a bad thing by creating a quarterback controversy between Couch and Holcomb going into 03. Butch seemed to live for the drama, which was great for the fans and the media, but pretty terrible for the actual football team. The NFL is finally back, and there's also finally no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find tickets. TickPick is your best choice to buy football tickets because they save you money by never charging any service fees. I mean, ever. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, got rid of all those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge which let them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's right, 110% difference. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for Brownstown and Blue Wire Network. I gotta go find some Browns tickets against the Steelers on Monday night to watch the Browns kick their tail. Visit TickPick.com slash Brownstown today and use the promo code Brownstown to save $10 on your first order of NFL tickets. In 2003, Couch would only start eight games due to a mixture of injuries and seemingly random starts by Kelly Holcomb. 
I just had put so much into it. I felt like I worked so hard and played through multiple injuries and, and just and just was always trying to be out on the field with my guys and wanted to be out there. No matter how bad we were in those early years, I wanted to be out there and I wanted to take the beating. I wanted to be the guy that they could say, you know, yeah, he's getting the hell beat out of him, but watch him get up. The team would go 5-11. and 11. And at the end of the 03 season, the Browns cut Couch, and he never played another regular season down in the NFL. Remember, this was the Peyton Manning of the 99 draft. And by 03, done. Terry Pluto saw flashes of what could have been underneath all those bandages. How about this? From his third and fourth years, Tim Couch had a 500 record as a starter. You can look it up. Tim once told me, he goes, I'm not saying I would have been Ben Roethlisberger. He said, but once in a while, I wonder if I'd have gone to Pittsburgh, how would it have been? I said, Tim, you would have got him to the playoffs. Heading into 2004, his fourth season, Butch had gone 21 and 27 and started a quarterback controversy. But our boy Randy didn't want to deal with finding someone else to run the team for him. So he just extended Davis, surprising everyone. Here's Pat McManaman. Butch Davis had a terrible year, I believe, and Randy gave him a contract extension. Tony Grossi and I kind of were like scratching our heads saying, wow, that's unusual. So at the NFL meetings, we got an interview with Randy and Carmen, and Randy goes, okay, what, what do we need? And they're both in there, Tony says, well, as far as Butch's contract extension goes, pretty much everybody in this uh, at these meetings is walking up to the two of us and saying, what the hell were they thinking? So what the hell were you thinking? <laughs> he got a good answer out of it. He explained why, but... I don't know what to say. <laughs> the extension only broadened Davis's power over shaping the entire roster. Former Browns tight end Aaron Shea remembers that Butch Davis, the GM, only had eyes for players he scouted while coaching Miami. He would draft some of his Miami guys, and that joke would be in the, uh, in the locker room. Hey, if you played in Miami, Florida, Florida State, we're going we're gonna to give you a shot. <laughs> I mean, there are some guys, and he goes, I haven't he played baseball. He comes back, you haven't played football since high school? He goes, well, I was like one of the biggest recruits. This guy was soft with the fig Newton. But Butch, he tried, he tried, and he could deal with trying to find that diamond in the rough. But Butch would draft who he recruited at Miami. Want an example? Here's a goddamn doozy. Heading into 04, Butch needed a new quarterback after cutting couch and being unsatisfied with Holcomb. If a quarterback makes the most sense for the Cleveland Browns and that's the best guy and that's a guy, I mean, we would all be kicking ourselves in the, in the behind if, if you passed on the guy that won four Super Bowls. Lucky for him, there was a pretty good quarterback in the draft. One for Miami, too. Well, a Miami. The Pittsburgh Steelers select Ben Roethlisberger, quarterback, University of Miami, Ohio. Even though Butch didn't pick him, Roethlisberger until 2019 was actually the winningest quarterback in Cleveland Brown Stadium. That may be the most depressing stat of this whole show. Why didn't Butch take Big Ben? Athletic draft specialist Dane Brugler has a few ideas. They had just signed Jeff Garcia. Davis was in going into what his fourth year as head coach. And so I don't think he was all that interested in, in developing a quarterback. You know, he wanted to win now. He felt the pressure. There were two guys in that draft that I, I think the Browns won. Sean Taylor or Kellen Winslow. And they figured, okay, listen, we're picking at seven. One of those two hopefully will be there. And, you know, Butch Davis recruited both of them to Miami. Uh, I mean, they were both considered very unique difference makers at the position. And, uh, you know, hopefully one would be there. I mean, Taylor, he goes five to Washington. And then that's when the Browns start to get, uh, you know, a little nervous and say, okay, 
we need a difference maker for this offense. Uh, it's easy to understand why they were just enthralled by Winslow, but to give up a second round pick, that was shocking. It just going by the trade value chart, going to, from seven to six, that would normally cost around 100 points. That second rounder was worth over 500 points. So Butch Davis decides to set a second round draft pick on fire to move up one spot to take Kellen Winslow the second. Winslow was one of the Browns' biggest draft bust, but having him selected over Big Ben made it all the more painful. Winslow's tenure with the team included a broken leg, recovering an onside kick in his second game, a torn ACL in a motorcycle accident, and missed time with a staph infection. He played in less than half of the Browns' games in his five seasons in Cleveland. So instead of a franchise quarterback, the Browns ended up with a tight end who couldn't stay on the field and eventually committed heinous crimes. All the while, the quarterback carousel would just keep spinning so fast that tight end Aaron Shea got dizzy. How many quarterbacks did you play with off the top of your head? Detmer, uh, Couch, Kelly Holcomb, uh, DA. Jeez, uh, I mean, there's, there's people that, to be honest with you, I could walk by them in a grocery store and I wouldn't know they were my quarterback. Plagued by injuries and subpar quarterback play in 04, mainly by Garcia, Butch's Browns went 3-8 and eight before he allegedly resigned in the middle of the season. He had been fired, and it was a Monday night. So we're doing the Monday night show, and he shows up. Now, little did I know, he's out as the head coach of the team already. I mean, it is signed, sealed, and delivered. He's already done, but he's not telling anybody that he's done, and he does the television show. He gave no inclination that it that it had ended, but it was over at that point in time. And he comes on and he says, yeah, this is what we're going to do against the Patriots. And he's not going to coach the Browns the next week. Offensive coordinator Terry Rubisky took over as interim head coach and limped to a one and four record, giving the Browns a mark of four and 12 for the season. So to recap, in our first five years as the new Browns, we had already played under three head coaches, which has got to be too many, right? I think it's probably the biggest thing looking back is you didn't give the coaches enough time. I was here six years. I had four head coaches. You know, you had Chris Palmer, you had Butch, and then Terry Bisky. And I also think, though, with how passionate the Browns fan base is and, you know, the media, I, I think it's like, you know, you feel that pressure. And people, you know, people talk about New York and stuff like that. Like, hey, people want to win around here. No shit. And Randy Lerner wanted to hire a guy who would make the winning easier. And what's the easiest way to find a guy who can handle everything and bring home a Super Bowl? Jim Donovan says, count the rings. If you were coming to interview to become a head coach with the Browns or even a player, and in your past you had played on a Super Bowl team, my advice would be you wear your Super Bowl ring into Berea and you name your price because they were so mesmerized by someone coming from a championship pedigree then this man walked in. Now, I might have had one Super Bowl ring on. I don't think that I had, you know, all five of them. Kiss the rings, kids. Next time on Brownstown. Brownstown is hosted and reported by me, Andre Knott. Produced and written by Harry Swartout and Peter Moses. Edited by Isabel Jocelyn. Music by Brian Decker. Production coordination by Devin Shepard. And production assistance by Miriam Khan, Michael Ehrlich, Shwetha Surendran, and Zach Jackson. Brownstown is a Blue Wire podcast and executive produced by Peter Moses and John Yells. See you next time.